Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 91. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at BJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John. Totally juiced on coffee as usual before recording. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Hey, uh, this week we're talking about career stress again. We really should have called this maybe uh, a series of episodes about career stress because we're, we're addressing it a lot, but I think it's coming up a lot. And just to set the table, um, I think you saw this uh, linked to an article in uh, the Spiceworks community, um, which you know to me underlined, you know, first of all, if you are feeling a little bit isolated or don't want to reach out to people on the team or in the company that you work for, you should be reaching out to one of these virtual communities like Spiceworks or, you know, any number of ones uh, which are either specific to your industry um, or, you know, specific to your job function or, or whatever. Um, you know, you can get a lot of support. But um, in this link uh, that we're going to put out, there was a link to a BBC article about um, stress, burnout, and redundancy tough times in IT. And this is a BBC article. So redundancy is a Britishism for uh, being fired, right? Being made redundant. So <laughs> that's a, that's the context of that. So, you know, it talked about um, some of the reasons why, you know, stress and, and pressures is especially high right now in the IT industry. Um, you know, my immediate reaction was, you know, right now, I mean, it's always stressful, but yeah, right now it's even more stressful. Um, and there's a couple of things in there, right? No time to switch off, worry about losing the job or contract because of the pandemic, you know, you know, additional job pressures there, fewer outlets to unload stress, to get a, take a break because we're in isolation or, you know, you maybe get energy from interacting with colleagues or, or just walking to the break room or any of those things that, you know, is your usual routine that breaks up stress that you don't have access to anymore. Um, just boundaries around remote work, uh, you know, the how early you start and how late you keep on working. Um, and then the fact that a lot of employers don't provide formal programs around mental health issues to, to support employees that are going through tough times, even though it's like kind of an unprecedented tough time right now. So um, that definitely tracked um, with my experience of working in IT, right? And and even, you know, working outside of IT, um, you know, it's it's an increasingly stressful time. Um, there's, there's always more pressure and it's a change. If you're not used to working at home, you're, you're not used to setting boundaries. And even if you are used to working at home, you know, it's still difficult to set boundaries sometimes. So it, it really did kind of help set the table for me. I, I don't know, was that, you know, tracking your experience as well? Absolutely. I think of it as a change in what the user base expects, because in just about any industry we think about, there's been a percentage of people 
who work for the company who transitioned to working from home. Now, not every company was necessarily ready to provide a good experience for those end users who may have worked in the office every day but are now working at home. So in my mind, the stakes are higher, the stress is higher, a mistake is more visible for those particular systems, and I totally get the boundaries around remote work. I think we talk, we both talked about that in our early discussions about being at VMware and you know starting the day at home. Right. Riding into a laptop on the first day at the house when you're used to going to the office every day is different. And if you don't set some guardrails, you're going to you're gonna have some struggles. Yeah. And a lot of people who are starting that kind of work, um, you know, even if they're IT, you know, th- that doesn't mean that they're working from home a lot. So and even if they were sometimes working from home, it doesn't mean that they're working from home 100% of the time while their partner was also at home and their maybe their kids are at home and if they live with you know other people other roommates they're also at home all trying to do work at the same time so it's kind of like i said an unprecedented situation yeah no kidding not to mention i guess now that i think about it i, I think i was listening to a different podcast and it pointed out that not every company was set up to flip all their employees to work from home so um, you know, I guess I just lost track, you know, after working at VMware for four years, you know, almost nobody had a desktop, right? That I don't even know that they issued desktops, even to, to people who worked in office, you know, everybody's just issued a laptop. Um, and I was the same at, at Google when I went to work for Google, it was just, here's your laptop. There was no mention of, oh, you're going to be, you know, in the office, you know, so here's something that you're, you know, work on in the office is just understood that you needed to be mobile and work from a number of different positions, even walking around the same office, right? You know, I'm going to go to a meeting, I need to take my laptop to the meeting to take notes, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, now it's like, you know, people got kicked into a frenzy of, um, you know, acquiring all the hardware that everybody needed to work from home, setting up VPNs, you know, all this like, digital transformation, maybe VDI, you know, who who knows what, um, you know, all was, you know, what should have been like a well-planned transition over the course of a year had to be done in, you know, three weeks, if you were lucky. That sucks. Absolutely. And if you're in technology, I've talked to people who had to live at the data center to make sure that things worked because they couldn't afford for their customers not to be able to do business or use whatever back-end system they were providing. Right. It's a shame. You know, John, that is a recipe for a very unhealthy mind, in my opinion. And it kind of makes me hungry for more information on that. I was reading or listening to a book called Raising Worry-Free Girls, and Mm -hmm. it mentioned this idea of a healthy mind platter. Imagine it as the food pyramid for the mind seven things that dr dan siegel claims should be essential mental activities that will optimize your brain and create well-being and he's actually a clinical professor of psychiatry at ucla school of medicine and the co-founder of the mindful awareness research center at ucla Smart dude, done a lot of things. He's executive director of the Mindsight Institute, which is a, an educational organization. So, have you ever heard of him? I hadn't heard of him or this uh, idea until you put the link in our prep notes, but 
the thing that I immediately noticed was uh, one of the co-authors was David Rock, who wrote uh, Your Brain at Work and Coaching with the Brain in Mind. Um, so that, you know, gave some uh, credibility for me. And, you know, I was a little bit more open to, to the ideas. And quite frankly, it's, you know, always refreshing, like I said at the top, to come across an article which is not just identifying the problem, but saying, hey, here's some concrete uh, frameworks that you can use to think about how it is that, that you are thinking and acting during the day and trying to help balance that to like maybe uh, do better at what it is that you're doing to, you know, just like you said, optimize the performance of, of what it is that you're taking time to do. Yeah. So if you're out there listening, we're going to go through the seven essential daily mental activities. And as you listen to these, think about whether you're doing these or not. We'll do the same. And what maybe you could do to change your schedule so that you're able to and see the effects. So the first one is focus time. And I think of this as getting to that flow state where you're working on a task and maybe you lose track of time or you have to do it with no distractions. Somebody who's writing a piece of code, somebody who's working on a really important financial report for an earnings call, for example. That's what it makes me think of. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, that's definitely something that I do every day, right? Like it, um, focus time, something that you need to be like totally engaged in. And, and sometimes it's just actually being in a really important meeting, um, where you need to be paying attention to what the, the people who are talking are saying, or you're the one who's presenting. So you need to be, you know, totally engaged with what's going on and, uh, focused on audience reactions. Uh, to what it is that you're saying so you can adjust, you know, how you're saying things or repeat things or or make any on-the-fly adjustments, actually. So that totally makes sense. I, I don't know. Is that, that I imagine that's something that you do all the time as well. Yeah, there are certain things that I have to work out on during the day and I just have to shut down email because I can't take the constant notification coming in. It seems to distract me and make me want to read it. And I have to focus on this thing and... If I get distracted, it's going to throw me off and cost me more time later. You know, you have a goal that you're working toward, and taking on that challenge can make deep connections in the brain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so the second item is playtime. Um, and that's defined as when we allow ourselves to be spontaneous or creative, playfully enjoying novel experiences. We help make new connections in the brain. That's, uh, you know, the benefit of doing that. And that's definitely, you know, true for me. You know, it's something that's, you know, different from work or it can be related to work, but it's more of a creative project that isn't directly affecting your your job performance. You know, oh, I've always wanted to try this technology and, it you know, I don't necessarily see how it's applicable right now, but it's really cool. So I'm going to set up an environment and see how it works and, and you know, it's just, you know, playing in a sandbox, right? Or it could be playing in a sandbox or playing video games or board games or, you know, interacting with your kids, like, you know, kind of joyfully and, and without worry or your uh, partner, you know, any of those things, friends, family. Um, how about you? Yeah, I mean, for me, this is playtime right now. Recording the podcast is doing something creative and different than what I'm doing during the day. And I, I feel like it, it helps me think differently as I go throughout my day and always on the lookout for guests, of course. 
<laughs> nice. So the next one is connecting time. And this is a connection with other people. Most of the time in person and taking time to appreciate your connection to the natural world. So getting outside. And by doing that, you're activating and reinforcing the brain's relational circuitry. I know that right now is a very tough time to connect with others in person, especially based on your acceptable level of risk and how COVID is impacting your area. So it's tough for people. You know, video calls are not exactly the same. Just like audio books and books on Kindle are not the same as holding the book in your hand. Yeah, not the same sensory experience, right? I think I've noticed, and uh, maybe I've even read some apocryphal um, other articles about this, is that you know you can have uh, video um, type interactions with friends, but the fewer people you actually have on the call, um, the more you're actually getting that closer to that one-on-one -on -one experience, right? If you have 30 of your best friends, they could be your best friends, but it, it turns into this cacophony and you don't know exactly who to focus on and there's no easy way to break out and have sub conversations and then, you know, get everybody's attention to make an announcement, you know, kind of the way you would do at a dinner party. So, um, yeah, that connection time is so important and, you know, in person, even better, definitely. Yeah. And getting outside to just be in the sunlight <laughs> and yeah. not being trapped inside if you're someone who's inside most of the day. Yeah, one of the indoor kids, right? Just uh, feel the sun on your face, the the wind in your face. Uh, I don't say the wind in your hair because I don't have any hair. Um, but yeah. Maybe someday, John. Maybe someday you'll be able to feel the wind in your hair. I hear they're making advances in genetic engineering all the time, so it's very, very possible. Um, the next section or item on the mind platter is physical time. So that's when we're actually moving our bodies. Um, I think he says aerobically, if medically possible. Um, and, you know, doing so actually strengthens the brain in many ways, like that mind-body connection, right, um, in, in the form of movement, uh, as opposed to just like kind of mindfully paying attention to the body um, while being still. And yeah, that's that's really cool. I, I've definitely experienced that. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but one of my hobbies, especially pre-COVID, was swing dancing. So You know, um, I've heard that maybe once. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, you know, and if I, if I haven't mentioned that before to the audience, uh, I apologize. I'll try to bring that up more often. Um, I'm looking at Nick and he is laughing his head off. Um, yeah, so, you know, that mind-body connection, you know, movement. Um, same thing when I was, like, a little bit more into riding my road bike, um, cycling. And, you know, it's uh, mind-body connection. Your legs are always working. You know, your core is always engaged. You know, the wind's always in your face. So there's that connection with your body in the, in the form of movement. Uh, aerobic movement very very cool how about yourself i have to say there i try to work out two to three times a week with my with my wife you know we do virtual dance aerobics type classes i'm not the greatest dancer like john you know i have trouble 
keeping time with the music. So my wife coaches me through it uh, as best she can for an uncoordinated dude. But I have to say, when I take a break on a day where I, that I feel like I can't take a break and just do that, it relieves a lot of pent-up tension and stress, and it really helps me focus better. And I remember reading Brain Rules by John Medina or Medina last year, and he talked about how going for a walk or getting some physical activity can give you new ideas and stimulate your creativity, help you solve a problem. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, this next one is called Time In. It's strange to me that there's no time out, but it's called Time In. And what that means is a time of reflection, focusing on sensations, images, feelings, and thoughts. And I guess I just don't like the term time in. I feel like it should be reflection time. But do we really take the time to think about what happened during our day? Some people keep a journal, even if it's just a couple sentences, or as we've talked about before, take some time to to update that resume. What have your accomplishments been in the last week, month, so that you can get that next promotion? That's a reflection time. Yeah, absolutely. I also like the idea of focusing on sensations and images, like kind of abstractly, and that's a little bit different from... Um, that physical time, right? So you can pay attention and connect with your body in motion. Um, and that's one category of spending your time, but spending your, your time in reflection and stillness is very, very different, you know, so that helps you put yourself in the state of paying attention to where you are and kind of just the idea of being present, uh, with yourself while doing what it is you're doing. I think we might have mentioned that in a previous episode. Can't imagine that. <laughs> Maybe our very last episode, which we will put a link to. Um, so yeah, I really like this uh, this this idea and in this uh, framing of this idea as well. Even though, like I agree, like time in really kind of breaks the the flow of the naming convention, but it is what it is. Um, the second to last category in the mind platter is downtime. So that's when we're unfocused without a specific goal and we let our minds wander or simply relax and we help the brain recharge. Now, this is, you know, pure relaxation time, mindlessness, and not focusing, right? Unfocused. And that kind of relaxing time, you know, I, I definitely find a benefit to that you know, zoning out, just kind of like floating and and not needing to actually pay attention to anything in particular. Um, you know, that's a, a, a specific category of, of brain activity, right? And it's interesting to see that categorized and broken out in this framework. And I think what I've heard this called is give yourself some time to be bored. And I just thought, whoa, I don't get bored. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm missing something. But I think this is part of that gearing down that was from the Inner Game of Stress episode as well, just like the one before it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that transition time. 
So the last one here is the one we probably steal from the most often when we're stressed and burned out, and that is sleep time. We know that the research shows when you get good quality sleep, it's refreshing and healing to your brain, and it helps you recover from a rough day or not so rough day. I don't know about you, but a lot of times that's the one that I end up taking away from because I need to get things accomplished. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have this instinct that we can be more productive by spending more hours um, when sometimes that is just fooling ourselves. You know, so I think it's very, very easy to steal from sleep time. Um, you know, I've certainly done it in the last 24 hours. I've done it. I think I got three hours on the clock last night and that's not good. <laughs> you know, it doesn't maximize your productivity uh, when you do something like that. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you run a mentoring school like John does and have to write new curriculum, I get it. <laughs> if you want to be mentored by John, send that tweet out to at Nerd Journey today for pricing and packaging. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed this framework, right? Which is exactly what it is. It's an abstract framework for categorizing the types of time that we spend in the different states that we're in. Now, it's not a perfect um, map of exactly, you know, the different, you know, things that we do. I'm sure that there's gray areas and, and overlaps between any of these things. You know, perhaps you could have focused playtime. Perhaps you could have, you know, like a quiet, you know, reflecting internal reflection, like while you let your mind wander, you know, so, um, you know, that I don't think in any of these frameworks, the authors are saying, um, you know, this is exactly how, you know, the brain works and this is exactly how you should do it. It's just a very useful way to think about things. And one of the things that was mentioned in the article was like, well, you know, go over your past like day or a few days or, or week and, and figure out in every day that you had, how much time did you spend you know, just approximately, just, you know, you know, throw a number and hours out there or percentages in each of these states. And, you know, I kind of went through that, you know, uh, mentally, and I went, ooh, you know, I am probably not doing enough connecting time, and I'm probably not doing enough physical time. And I'm probably doing uh, not enough of this and that, you know, so it just helped me to understand you know, perhaps I'm a little bit out of balance, um, which is not to say that, you know, that's, you know, a 100%, you know, ill state to be in. It's just, you know, it's not optimized, right? So if I balance that out and spend time in, you know, a little bit, pay attention a little bit more to, to be a little bit more in balance, you know, spend a little bit more physical time, spend a little bit more connecting time, you know, uh, see how that goes, see, you know, whether that my, uh, my personal productivity and uh, goes up, my stress level goes down, and uh, whether, you know, I'm just doing better overall. Yeah, we could all probably benefit from doing a little time budgeting. And just the act of thinking about it, about how much time you're spending, that's that non-judgmental awareness. You know, don't get mad, don't label it as good or bad, just like we talked about last week. Just what is it? And if something isn't where you think it needs to be, you have the freedom to adjust because Absolutely. you are the CEO of your own life. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like if you kind of take all the learnings that we had, you know, last week from the inner game of stress, 
you know, just, you know, and you were to apply it to this, the guidance from intergain of stress would be just pay attention to how much time you're spending in each of these states and, and don't do anything, you know, don't judge it, as you said, just pay attention to it. And, uh, the inner game, you know, methodology kind of guides us towards the idea that if we pay attention to something, you know, in general, we will naturally correct it. Um, so it's that act of paying attention. So you have to obviously budget the time to do a wrap up at the end of the day or whatever, um, to, you know, midday, you know, a couple times a day to say how much time, you know, approximately, um, have I spent in each of these states? And, and like I said, and like you said, just pay attention to it and don't judge it. Don't be angry about it. It's very difficult. It's <laughs> very much so. So last segment we wanted to do here is another article from the Spiceworks community. They have a segment called Dear Spice Rex. So if you have a question you want to submit anonymously to the community, they'll publish it. They won't say who you are and you can get advice. And I actually thought this was a really good post, John. It's called Too Little Too Late. I'm going to give you a quick synopsis of what, it hap- of what happened. And then I want to discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of the situation. So the person writing it, the company needed to upgrade their version of SQL Server and the, the guest operating system. It sounds like it was a physical machine from what I could see, but they had to get this approved by management. So they had submitted, someone had submitted the change request, but the person who was actually going to have to make sure the database worked after this upgrade was not told that the upgrade or re-imaging of the server was happening until the day before at lunchtime. That's when that person's manager relayed the message. As you can imagine, that creates a little bit of stress on a person. Oh, I have to make sure everything's backed up, follow my, hopefully, my runbook for (laughs) backing all this up and making sure we can recover. And so you know what's happening. You have to do it. You're going to get stressed and maybe miss something. And so the time came. The server got re-imaged. It sounded like this person didn't do it. Maybe someone else did it. So it was this person's, the poster's, job to to stand things back up make sure everything worked with the database make sure their their systems were functional but when it in the end they could not get the software to connect to the database and he tried and tried and had to talk with with different people in the applications department and finally the boss came over and wanted to know what was happening and i think this person was really afraid that their boss was going to freak out and yell at him but the boss said no one died you know we'll manually input the information for a month or so and we'll be we'll be caught up so that relieves a little bit of stress on a person and come to find out that a day or so later this person was able to find the answer solve the problem reconnect the system after all thank goodness no kidding so it it turned out good i think but I think it also turned out bad. What are your thoughts on how that went down, John? Anything? Yeah, I think you know part of it is process. So if you have a change management process where somebody needs to approve something, you know, for a change, the change 
plan that should be approved should include things like, you know, here's the amount of time, you know, before the change where we need to do something like imaging of the database. Here's the time that it'll take for us to test the, you know, in a, in a test environment, um, uh, the fact that we can do this. Um, and, and that should be, you know, a condition of a, the change approval. Right. Uh, yes, we've we've done it in a test environment before, and we know the ins and outs of, of how to do it. So the fact that there was a, a change approval process that didn't include any of this stuff, and you know allowed a last minute um, alert to the team that was actually doing the change that it, the change was going to happen, seems to be a broken process. Like, why do you have a change approval process if if it doesn't? take those things into account it, you know now you're just adding bureaucracy right because it didn't it didn't work right the change approval process did not work the change got approved and it didn't work and usually with that change management type system you have to communicate the risk to the people who own the applications from a business standpoint and unfortunately and, and have a rollback plan right but unfortunately it seems like this company didn't have that you know not everybody does change management really well or really strictly depending on the size of the company the way the organization operates whether they view technology as important but i would hope that the person who knows they're going to do the work was involved in the planning (laughs) of (laughs) here's how it's going to go guys here's what i think we should do but I, i don't know that that was necessarily the case other than them knowing it was going to happen at some point just not when yeah yeah and you know it's it's 2020, um, so you know it's completely possible to test these things ahead of time, and you know it really seems like a total miss to have a change process like this that that has you know risk, and the first time that you ever do it is in production. Like that's just seems madness, like madness to me. Yeah, and the like, career tip there is I'm sorry I interrupted you, but the career tip there is doing this and de-risking the business can get you to that next level saying you ensured a successful upgrade because you did these things that that shows that you have a a good head about you and a view of the impact of the situation yeah absolutely um you know i think that probably the course of action you know that the individual who wrote the article could have uh, done was called out the risk ahead of time, right? By saying, Hey, you know, you're springing this on me, you know, just over 24 hours before it needs to be done. You know, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong. You know, a, I don't think we should do it. You know, B, if we're going to do it the right way, here's the, here's, you know, a general process, you know, um, that, that we should follow to, you know, test it ahead of time and, you know, write up a run book of what this upgrade is going to look like and, and so on and so forth. Um, um, so, you know, a, a couple different things that could have gone better. Um, I think the things that went right um, are the how the supervisor handled it, right? So the supervisor, like, took the pressure off the person who who did the thing, right? Saying, hey, you know, nobody died, you know, you know, here's the mitigation, like right away, the person was on to mitigation. So, um, you know, I don't know if they did an after action report. Um, but you know, probably a couple of those things should have happened. I, you know, you know, I, I'm so sorry to go back, but I think one of the other 
uh, things that could have been done better was it, when it didn't work, the higher ups should have been informed right away, not a couple of days later, right? Like, so if you if something doesn't go right, you just gotta like loop the people, all the stakeholders in, and say, hey, this isn't working. So sure. And it sounds like the manager in this case was responsible for some of the communication chain. And in my mind, that person dropped the ball by not communicating with enough time to this employee or team that was involved. Maybe they could have communicated it a week before. That probably would have brought better planning, less stress to the people doing the work. You know, if I give you something that's due tomorrow at lunchtime, it's going to happen. You feel like it's risky. Your stress level is going to go up no matter what. Yeah, with, with that time frame, you don't, uh, it takes um, a Herculean effort just to say, no, I don't think we should do that, right? Because it's being given to you as like, hey, this, by the way, this is going to happen. I need you to do this. You know, the, the, all the opportunities that you have in a plan you know, where you back out and say, hey, I'm going to have to call a stop to this entire process. You haven't built any of that in. So, um, yeah, again, totally agree. Kudos to the boss, though, for taking the pressure off and shielding the employee from any impact to them as a result of a decision that was already made. Right. When you're the one pressing the buttons, I, I think there's always this fear that, I'll be the one that gets fired if this doesn't go right because I'm the one who pressed the buttons. Whether it was my call or not, mm. they're going to want to get rid of me. Yeah, yeah. When really, if there really was an approval process, it was the, the, the people who presented it as, you know, a plan that was, told, you know, legit without, you know, necessarily calling out this, the risks and, and the mitigations of, you know, specific things happened um, or... The, the team that actually approved it, you know, without seeing any of those risks, wait, you don't have any of the potential risks. You don't have any of the things that could go wrong. You don't have a plan for rolling back. You don't have a plan for mitigating, you know, partial success, you know, and, and, you know. Um, so again, I don't know why there's an approval process if none of that stuff happens. Why? <laughs> What's the point of the approval process? To approve things, John. I thought we right. established that. Yeah. Bureaucracy is a self-feeding machine. Mm-hmm. The red tape is there. Now, what about the concept of the stress being removed by the boss shielding them and saying, no one died, so resetting the expectation from manager to employee, and then that person then being able to solve the problem? Yeah, I, I think that there's a strong link to that, right? When you're not concerned about I th and I think we, you know, heard about this in inner game of stress, right? When you, uh, inner game of stress called it self one and self two and self one is the, you know, the causes all the stress, right? With all the, oh, if this happens, if this happens, if, if, if here's all the potential consequences that we're facing. So you're spending a lot of time worrying about that and not enough time, um, probably connecting and focusing and in downtime, um, you know, to in the healthy mind platter model, you know, which kind of gives you the freedom to make connections and then go back and then, you know, while I was trying to Google for solutions, maybe I'll Google a little bit better. Boom. You know, hey, I found the solution. <laughs> Google foo for the win again. Right. 
what do we do without Google? Man, it sounds like you're in a good spot with your employer, John. <laughs> but I will say, if you read the article, which we'll put in the show notes, here are some of the words in there. I had a different mindset and took a step back and tried to find a solution again. So, inner game of stress tool number one, stop tool, right? Yep. And then, trying on a new attitude. Mm-hmm. So, it, it's there. That's, that's what I saw in the end. And of course, a problem happens on your watch. You feel somewhat responsible, even though your boss has relinquished any bad things from happening to you. It doesn't stop your desire with the engineer brain of Josh Fidel's crafting to want to solve it. Like you want to fix it. Yeah. And that person was able to do it. So kudos to them, even though they wish they could have done it sooner. Yeah. And I think you probably should have read the next line. I finally uh, binged a website with just a few lines of code that needed to be executed that solved the problem. Yeah, definitely didn't see the word being in there. Oh, caught me. Maybe explored? Oh, no, that's not right. (laughs) Firefoxed? Eh. Nope. Okay. (laughs) Can't use that as a verb. But really, everyone, I would encourage you to reach out to folks like John said at the beginning whether it be a phone call to a friend, colleague, peer, family member, whether it be in a virtual community to ask for advice, your manager, somebody else you trust. If you don't talk about it, it's going to blow up. Yeah. And that just goes back to connecting time, right? Uh, In the Healthy Mind Platter model. Was all this talk of platters making you hungry? Is it just me? No, it's definitely making me hungry. Uh, anything before we get out of here and maybe have a snack? <laughs> no, just thinking about the snack. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. All right, farewell, snackers. Tune in next time as the snack journey continues. I'm John Snack, at VJourneyman for Nick Snack, at NetworkNerd underscore, signing off. Adios. I think we're thinking about food. Hmm.